Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Happy Wednesday, everybody. If you're listening to this today, happy Thursday. If you're listening to it on Thursday, and if you're listening to it any other time, then not happy whatever day it is. I'm Pearson Fowler here with Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark, as always, to talk a little bit more about the Florida game. I hope you all got a chance to listen to Wes and Chris do their No Huddle podcast on Monday with some immediate kind of reactions to the Florida game, in particular the officiating, which is certainly and unfortunately a big storyline Coming out of that game. Uh, also, hope you got a chance to listen to the Monday Get Cocky podcast. Will Helms had some really good numbers from Pro Football Focus and SP that help explain what was, I think, still a somewhat confusing 38 27 final scoreline. As I think the feeling around here, at least amongst the three of us, is still that Carolina played a pretty good game and that 11 points is probably not a real indicative margin of, of how this game played out. But we're going to go through a couple more big picture things from the Florida game. Um, you know, as we look ahead to Carolina's next three games, which are all very winnable, a Texas A&M game that now looks a lot more intriguing in terms of a game that Carolina could potentially steal down the stretch. Um, go through a little buy or sell, recap last week's, and then go through uh, this week's buy or sell ahead of the Tennessee game and talk about the recruiting scandal that Carolina has on his hands now, the timing of which is very, uh, uh, I don't know, funny, suspicious, however you want to call it. It's something. Uh, but, guys, let's get started again with the Florida game. As I mentioned, a lot of the conversation. There was sarcasm in that uh Recruiting scandal for those who didn't catch it. What? That it's a recruiting scandal. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The scandal part was sarcastic. <laughs> yes. the, the, the the part that it was very, uh, I don't know, yes. the, the timing of it <laughs> comment was not, uh, was not sarcastic at all. Uh, but the Florida game, we've all spent a lot of time talking about the officiating, and it was terrible. And Will Muschamp and South Carolina have still not heard back from the gutless office of officiating at the SEC. I mean, it's really just they're embarrassing themselves. And I like to pile on because I'm a vindictive jerk, I guess. But we don't need to pile on them more other than just to say that they suck and they're incompetent and they're stupid and they're gutless and just respond because that is your only job. I don't know what else they're doing. But in terms of the actual football game, as I mentioned earlier, it seems like the three of us still generally feel pretty good about how Carolina played on Saturday. Does what happened on Saturday change your opinion about these next three games for Carolina, maybe Texas A&M and maybe Clemson? I wouldn't say a whole lot. I thought the takeaway for me was that, you know, South Carolina belonged on the field with what is, um, you know, supposedly a, a top 10 team in the country. Um, I didn't really see a lot of separation. Obviously, they're two teams that are built pretty differently. But as far as just Carolina being on the field and being in a position to win the game, um, you know, Carolina belonged on the field, two evenly matched teams. I honestly, watching the game in person – it felt to me, even though it was close or even tied for much of the game, it felt to me like South Carolina was sort of controlling the game. I, I don't know if that was just my perception when I rewatched it. Controlling the game may be a little strong, but um, definitely in position to win the thing for the entire game, which is a positive about what this team is right now. The negative, of course, would be that when it really mattered, when it came down to it, Florida made some plays, South Carolina didn't, um, and, and it just sort of, you know, any any game that comes down to a handful of plays, it either goes your way or it doesn't. And give Florida credit. As much as we've talked about the officials 
you do have to give Florida credit for for making the plays down the stretch. Chris, before the season, it seemed like everyone, especially in Columbia, was kind of out on Florida. They were kind of overrated. They didn't deserve to be a top 10 team. That conversation has kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the season and I think really peaking after they beat Auburn. How do you feel about Florida after Saturday's game? You know, I still feel like it's a good team. Um, I, I was one of those people that thought Florida was a little overrated as a top 10 team. And, you know, I, th- I think we mentioned this last week. I don't know that you'd put them in that top four or five, you know, as, as a team that would really, really compete in a playoff setting. Um, you know, I think they could be competitive against some of those teams that are in the upper echelon. But, um, look, LSU, that, that's a good example of it. They went on the road. Uh, they were in that game. LSU dominated Florida on offense against Florida's defense, ran 48 plays, scored however many points, um, and, and really did whatever they want from a passing or rushing standpoint. But Florida was right with them. And, and that, to me, is what stood out is after Franks went down, Kyle Trask comes in, um, and they do a really nice job offensively. And for most of that game, they're sort of matching LSU score for score. You just felt like they'd probably run out in the end, and that's what happened. Um, but they have the quality win against Auburn. Um, you know, they've beaten – uh, you know, a, a good Auburn team. You know, they, they did a great job defensively against Auburn. They made enough plays on offense to win. Um, and South Carolina's a quality win, too, because this is a South Carolina team that uh, has been competitive all year in almost every situation. They've beaten Georgia. Uh, they weren't competitive in the first half against Missouri. But other than that, um, they, they've been competitive in every other game. Um, they haven't gotten really blown out, you know, at all. And uh, I think they're playing better football at this point in the season than they were certainly against North Carolina at the beginning of the year, right? They're playing a lot better. And so I think it was a quality win for Florida. And it's a good team. They're missing some pieces up front. You know, uh, two starting defensive ends out in in Zuniga and Greenard who are going to be back for the Georgia game most likely and still missing Kadarius Toney. They had a quarterback change. But we knew that from a skill position standpoint, they're pretty good. Dan Mullen's obviously a good play caller, and then defensively they've got a good secondary. They've still got a, a group of uh, a front seven that's still pretty good as well. And um, I think they just, again, like you guys said, they just made a few more plays there down the stretch. It was two evenly matched teams, and that's pretty much how the game played out. Most of my, I guess, lower expectation for Florida at the beginning of the season was because I didn't think Felipe Franks was a guy to be to, – to quarterback a top 10 team in the country, he was just too inconsistent. And I think we're now at the point where it's not like, oh, is Kyle Trask better than Felipe Franks? It's like, no, no, no. There's no question about it. If you still have any doubt in your mind that Felipe Franks is better than Kyle Trask, you're crazy. And not just because of the consistency, not just because he doesn't make the mistakes, because he makes plays, too. He makes plays that Franks doesn't make with consistency. The difference in the game Saturday for me, because, again, when you, look at this, when you look at the box score, when you look at pretty much every single number, it was a very even game. It's like, how the heck was this an 11-point spread? It was Kyle Trask. It was Kyle Trask making throws, making timely plays. The drive where Florida would eventually go ahead for the last time. I mean, 24-20, to 20, I, I guess it wasn't the go-ahead score, but it was when they took the lead for good in that game. Kyle Trask converted two third downs with his legs. And then there was the third and eight where he was able to scramble and get it into fourth and three territory where it was sort of a manageable situation for Florida where they didn't feel the need to either punt and try and pin South Carolina deep or kick a field goal. It was a fourth and manageable. And it was also his legs on fourth and three, scrambling out to his left, extending the play and eventually finding the guy and converting the first down. And then I think they scored either on the next play or two plays later. He was the difference for me in that game. And I just, I would, I could not and would not have foreseen that that would be the difference. But I think with Kyle Trask, especially playing like he is, not making mistakes, 
I guess he did make the one mistake throwing that pick to Jamie Robinson, but I think more than made up for it down the stretch. That's kind of been the difference in this Florida team for me. I also wouldn't have expected that they would be this bad running the football. I thought that was going to be a little more balanced because Carolina did a great job against them again. If you wipe out the 75-yard run, which generally I'm not in favor of saying that, but there are two very obvious reasons why that should not have been on the table. South Carolina held Florida to 2.7 yards of rush um, that game, which, you know, again, all those things, like what was the difference? I think Kyle Trask. Well, and I think uh, Trask has just become that he's that sneaky good quarterback that uh, doesn't really have the the huge arm, you know, or, or even great size that that you know guys look at when they're sort of scouting out a quarterback. But he just makes things happen, uh, like you said, with his legs as well. And um, you know, this is a guy that's been a backup like his entire life. You know, was a backup uh, in high school as well. And I, I guess Florida maybe didn't even really know what they had with him. And um, you know, Felipe Franks is like the example of the guy that gets the, you know, recruiting folks all excited and he's he's a big armed kid and, you know, the NFL scouts I'm sure had had their eye on him at least to an extent uh, as far as his career goes. And then Trask is sort of the unassuming guy. You know, the first the first quarter, first half, man, he's out there throwing lollipops in the rain. Looked like he couldn't figure out how to grip the football with the weather and just was I mean, lobbing the ball all over the place. It was coming out funny. But then uh, with the game on the line, this guy made the plays, uh, and you got to give him credit. But I, I think also the difference for me, not just Trask, was that, you know, let's look at Florida's three big drives there at the end. They weren't more so drives. They were they were short fields. You know, Florida, which, um, you know, I, I don't think he extended plays for first downs on that final, on that touchdown drive because they started that drive at the 50. And – you know, Carolina has basically, I think, played field position for for mo- most of the game, it seemed like. And then Florida finally gets a chance to pin South Carolina back. Then what happens? South Carolina goes three and out. They punt it back. Florida gets the ball right at midfield. I thought the third the third down was just as big as the fourth down when he was the, the third get, and eight. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, was, that was the forward back because he has there's three guys around him, and it it wasn't really they weren't missed tackles because. The guys were sort of being half blocked as well, but Trask just—he's got that innate that knack for just sort of escaping and getting out of there. And he gets out, gets forward, takes an absolute shot from JT eBay, but had gotten close enough, like you said, to where they felt comfortable going for it. In a similar situation, uh, one drive earlier, um, they were backed up a little bit further, and they decided to punt it. So uh, that tells you where their mindset was. But then to get the ball out and the very the very next play after he completes the fourth down um they hit the little it kind of turned into a wheel route I don't even know if it was designed that way but um hit it into the window of the zone and then uh, very next drive short field because of the fumble um then very next drive is short field because she had to go for it on fourth down so I think that was partially you know when when the two teams were playing um full field football the defense is actually I thought controlled the game for the most part, save a few big explosive plays. But then at the end there, Florida took advantage of having really good field position. So I think I left the game. I didn't feel like I learned a lot about South Carolina. And I don't mean that as like a criticism. I just think it kind of confirmed what we thought we knew about this team in terms of the defense is much improved. The defensive line is excellent. Um, Maybe still some question marks in the secondary, specifically at the safety position. I think RJ Roderick, I I don't remember actually what Wilhelm said in terms of like, how his game went according to the pro football focus grades, but 
watching it, I mean, he was responsible for, like, directly responsible for two of Florida's touchdowns. Obviously, the one that should have been wiped off because of the false start and the holding, um, that was still his fault because he seemed to fill the wrong gap and, I mean, left a left a gap that uh, you could have driven an 18-wheeler through, and obviously uh, Pierce took that one to the house. And then there was obviously the first touchdown they scored where R.J. Roderick seemed to be playing for the tip and just misjudged everything about the play. I think he was playing football. I can't be sure. Um, it was just a disaster. But other than that, the defense was still good. The offense ran the ball very well, which is what we've seen all year. That makes sense. And the other part of that is the passing game still hasn't been able to click. Part of it's because Ryan holinsky has been a little bit banged up. Part of it's because South Carolina's receivers outside of Brian Edwards just, you know, really haven't played that well this year. We, we were we spent a lot of time in the preseason saying, who's going to be that third guy? Is it going to be Ortre Smith? Is it going to be Josh Van? Maybe Xavier Leggett's going to find himself in the mix. Right now, South Carolina can't even find a, re- a reliable second receiving option. And I think that's like the most troubling. Eight passing touchdowns this year in seven games. That's that's just not good enough. Well, I think they have to find a way to get the ball to Shai Smith. Um, you know, he's he's gotten the ball in some situations where he really doesn't have room to operate. And, you know, I, I think the big question, you know, moving forward is, Obviously, we've seen the running game sort of come into its own. And to give them credit, um, you know, we'll talk about the passing game and the running game because it's really two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. For me, to give them credit, the running game hasn't just been good. The running game has evolved. And, you know, they started out early on as an inside zone RPO-based team as far as the running game goes. Now they're a uh, pin and pull, uh, get the ball out on the edge a little bit, uh, get movement up front. They've basically taken what they do well and what they execute well, and they've based the entire offense around that as far as the running game goes, and then they've uh, mixed in different uh, complementary plays to that. This pin and pull has some, like, unique tendencies to it in that based on the defensive alignment, sometimes it's the two guards pulling, sometimes it's a center and a guard, sometimes it's a guard and a backside tight end pulling, and um, so there's some nuance to it. Um, They mixed in this new RPO delayed handoff from the shotgun that's been very very kind to them they had a counter play that we really haven't seen much this year um, and did you know ran a little bit of inside inside zone this past week uh, they had a quarterback draw they had a true zone read so the running game they've focused in on what they do well and then they've been able to build the rushing attack around that I think now we have to see that from the passing game as well and I, I think you know yes yeah, some some of those deep balls were there but you know, Muschamp, one of the first things he has said when he's talked this week and right after the game is the passing game has to get better. Mm-hmm. And people may instantly say, well, that, you know, he's talking about Ryan Helensky because he's the quarterback. But I went through every single throw in the game. And, um, yeah, sometimes it's a missed throw. On a lot of these deep balls we're talking about, you know, there's one where maybe if he if he leads shy to the left pylon on one of the early deep balls, yeah, it, it's a completion, it's a big play. Other times there's really not a – heck of a lot of separation from the receiver you know it's going to take a real it's going to these are not those were not all high percentage throws it was going to take some really good throws in the rain and you're playing against a really good secondary probably the best tandem of corners that carolina is going to see this year but i think where fans frustration lies is you saw kyle trask i mean not that kyle trask aired it out and threw it on the field that much but he gave his receivers a chance to make a play and this seems like it's been a common thread this happened with Jake Bentley some last year, and, and this happened with Ryan Holinsky some this year. You kind of want to just give your guys a chance to go up and make a play. Second play of the game or third play of the game, Carolina runs that flea flicker, throws it up to Brian Edwards. It wasn't the most perfect ball. He doesn't hit him perfectly in stride, but Brian goes up and makes a play for you. So I, I think some of those balls, it's like they're trying to throw it too perfectly, and you'd mm-hmm. rather them 
throw it, you know, maybe it's a, it's a little bit higher risk to get intercepted, but you also are trusting your receivers to go up and make a play. I don't know what the right answer is because if Ryan Holinsky threw two picks instead of just two misses on those deep balls, obviously people would be talking a lot more negatively about his performance, but, you know, give your guys a chance sometimes. Yeah, and I, I think my, my big thing is, you know, several times uh, pass protection was an issue. Several times it's, uh, you know, you know, I think this goes back to the quarterback. You don't see that there's a cornerback blitz coming at all. That's a you know a situation where it's a sight read, I guess, and you got to get the ball out hot. Um, so, you know, there was one play where they tried to cut down the offensive lineman and run a slant behind it. The slant is there; it's wide open, but two offensive linemen didn't get their defensive lineman cut enough to where that they you know that that entire design is to keep that ball from being batted. And there was a slant that got batted in the air because mm-hmm. the lineman didn't cut the defensive lineman in front of him all the way. So. You know, if you look at you look at sort of this passing game, there's a multitude of reasons why it is what it is. I think you sort of have to make a more concerted effort to try and get Ryan Helensky some throws that can get his confidence up and can let him find a rhythm. Because to me, this game was a, it was a lot of the little quick screens to the outside, which have been good for South Carolina, and then a lot of deep balls. But I I don't know how much of a rhythm we've seen them be able to get the quarterback in when right now your focus is the running game, and rightfully so. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to get completely away from that. I think they're still sort of working to find that balance between this running game and an efficient passing game. Because right now, when when a sequence of three downs is two runs and a pass, and the one pass is a deep ball, and that's that was pretty consistent against Florida, I feel like. I just wonder how difficult it is to get in a rhythm when it's like, Run, pass, run, 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 pass, pass, run, run, and they're not really high percentage throws. I think we're going to have to see them work the intermediate areas, the middle areas a little bit more and try to continue to marry this running game with a more efficient passing game as far as not just when you call passes in general, but what pass plays you're calling, I think. It's really complicated. It's It kind of goes back to the identity thing that we've talked about with this team as a whole. And I think we've seen it last year, and, we, and we're seeing it this year, just in terms of lack of identity on offense, and I guess specifically in this case, lack of identity in the passing game. I don't want to criticize like the individual play calls because I thought Brian McClendon called a fine game. Like People have killed him for calling that passing play on – what was it, first and goal from the six? And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, that is the stupidest thing ever. We're just litigating results. If Ryan Helensky throws a touchdown pass there, no one says a damn thing about that being a bad call. The problem is Ryan Helensky didn't see the corner blitz. Now, that's maybe that's some inexperience. Maybe he needs to improve his pocket awareness because y'all talked about how, you know, Kyle Trask, as much as anything, just a, such an asset for him is his ability to sort of feel pressure. He's got that internal clock in his head. That maybe it's just something you develop. Like, you're right, he hasn't been a starter, but he has been playing college football for longer than Ryan Helensky, so that's something that maybe you just get – more of a feel for as you get more comfortable with the game. But I put that more on Holinsky than McClendon. But that to say, I think McClendon called a fine game. But what is the what is the passing identity of this team? Like, if you want to take shots, take shots. That's great if you feel like you can hit them. If you want to be more of that, you know, dink and dunk team with lots of slants, quick outs, option routes from your tight ends like we saw against Alabama, do that. But there just doesn't seem to be any consistency game to game in terms of how Carolina is, is attacking teams in the passing game. And I think if we want to zoom out even a little bit further and say, you know, what is what is like the real source of fans frustration with Carolina's offense? And Chris, I don't know how you feel about this, but it's like last year, Carolina passed the ball pretty well. You know, Jake Bentley was up and down, but ultimately like the passing numbers were pretty good for Carolina. You felt reasonably good about their ability to, to air it out. You know, we saw it against Clemson. We saw it a couple times throughout the season, Ole Miss. There were games in Carolina. I mean, it just looked like a true kind of air raid attack. It was just, okay, if Carolina can get the running game fixed, 
this offense would be humming. And now this year, Carolina comes in, and Wes, you were telling me the stats before uh, we started recording this, and it's probably the most productive rush offense South Carolina's had since 2013 in terms of just like pure rushing numbers. It's like in 197 terms of, a game, and then it's like 5.5 yards a rush. Yeah, and then in terms of yards per carry, like it's, it's even more dramatic. Like I don't even know when you have to go back to find a South Carolina team that ran the ball as efficiently on a per uh, per carry basis as this team, and now all of a sudden the passing game is falling apart. And I, I don't want to say totally falling apart, but eight passing touchdowns in seven games, you know, 170 passing yards for Ryan Holinsky on Saturday. Sure, you know, he was dealing with with a little bit of a knee. It was wet. But the fact of the matter is Kyle Trask was dealing with similar circumstances, you know, wet ball playing on the road, and just had a much more efficient game, had 200 yards through some passing touchdowns. It's just I think if you told Carolina fans that the running game was going to be fixed this year, they would have felt great about the offense, and they still haven't scored 30 points against an FBS opponent. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a combination of factors. I think, you know, from game to game, this is a team that may, and there's nothing wrong with that, that may look different. I mean, that's how we've seen the run game evolve. Like Wes said, in the beginning of the year, what we saw from this team running the football is different than what we see now. And they they've sort of – put in some new things, and they've done that in the passing game as well. They have made some adjustments um, in the passing game based on opponent or just even within a game. I think there's just a lot of other factors that that make this what it is. You know, one is, again, you, you know, the North Carolina game, I think, was more of an aberration from an offensive standpoint. South Carolina didn't run it as well in that game, 128 rushing yards. The quarterback play was not good in that game, right? Brian Edwards didn't get the football. A little bit more of an aberration based on what we've seen the rest of the season. Alabama, talented team. South Carolina looked pretty good. I don't think anybody looked at that game and said, man, the play calling sucked in that game. No, it didn't. Um, you know, Georgia, you look at the factors in the Georgia game. Brian Holinsky's making some good throws in that game. They've got some plays that are open. They've got some plays that uh, are, are sort of closer to 50-50 balls. And he's making the throws. Well, he gets hurt. He goes down. Yeah. He goes his down. best game of the season, according to Pro Football Focus. Okay, so half. that's his best yeah. game against one of the best defenses, arguably mm -hmm. the best, mm -hmm. right? Probably better than Alabama, in my opinion, and arguably better than Georgia. Um, so he, he has his best game in that. Well, then he goes down. Then Joyner's in the game. He's not 100%, right? Your, your game changes. And Georgia's pretty good on defense. Um, and then you go to, you know, Helensky is banged up, you know, after that. Then you've got some other things. you got maybe some drops. Then you've got plays like Wes has described where you've got guys running. The, the sack play, the first and, first and goal from the six, Brian Edwards is wide open across the formation. They don't get it. You could say, well, Brian McClendon should run the ball there. Well, yeah, if they just get the ball out, though, it's probably a touchdown. Um, then you've got the play that Wes mentioned. They don't cut down a defensive lineman, so the slant gets blocked. Every, everybody's solution to the passing game is throw more slants. Well, there was one, you know, that was open. Um you know, they had some deep shots, sure, and, and a lot of those were off. You know, I think you compare it to t Kyle Trask. I mean, Kyle Trask threw up one ball that probably should have been at least knocked away by Jamie Robinson. He didn't, and then R.J. Roderick somehow missed the guy. That's one touchdown. Another touchdown was uh, a, a obvious offensive pass interference. Good play call, good design. It was a pass interference. You know, another one was a, a screen, you know, to Trayvon Grimes. Another one was a, a wide-open wheel route. Another well-designed play. But it's not like Kyle Trask was out here just, you know, look like Joseph Burrow or anything. No, but, you know, he, but, he, but he made the plays, you know. He, he, he made he, a he, few late. But, tra I mean, early on, Trask was – He was struggled. Yeah. He, Trask, yeah they, they both struggled early and then Trask – Look, and I don't no, want this Ryan, to be – Ryan was throwing dimes early is the thing. 
You know, yeah, he threw some. comes out slinging the ball like the water's not even affecting him. And Trask is – What was he What was he at the end of the first half? Like he hit the long ball to Brian well, I'm Edwards. Say, I'm and, saying uh, Ryan was three for three to start the game, and the ball was coming out of his hand crisp through the rain. And he threw the and, little – the deep end to shy yeah, on he, that first drive. Well, oh, oh, right on the on the third and eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, that was that yeah, was the that best was throw anybody. That, that, was, that was the best. The pass deep he made end. Um, yeah, the dig route, and then there was one other throw early on. That no, it was a screen to Brian Edwards. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I I thought. I mean, I wonder what were Trask halftime numbers. I mean, Trask was looked awful in the first half, um, and then he made some throws late. I mean, if you look at their PFF grades, I mean, Trask. Graded out under a sixty in this game. A lot. I, mean, I think Ryan Holinsky actually had a better grade than Kyle Trask, but watching the game, it just felt like he made more plays. And I guess it was just because it was in bigger moments. Obviously, it's it's really easy to make a throw to an open receiver when you're allowing wide receivers to block several yards down the field when your wide receiver is also running down the field. So maybe I shouldn't give him credit for that. Um, and ma- maybe I am giving him too much credit, but it just seemed like down the stretch, it was Trask making the plays, and South Carolina's offense was not able to do. No, that. you're right. You're you're totally right, but um. You know, and then I think you get when, when you get down later in that game, then then it's late, right? The game turns and it turns it's late. So South Carolina's got to then then you got to press a little bit more. You, you can't go okay, we're going to just methodically run the ball down the field, right? And th- and that's one thing is you know this offense has not been explosive enough. They've had to rely a little bit too much on explosive plays at times. Um, sometimes they've had some methodical drives. Those are tougher to put together against your Georgias or your Floridas. Um, you know, we saw the early score against Florida that put them up. You know, they had a few explosive plays. They had the, the flea flicker to Brian. Um, there were some explosive plays in the run game. Um, I just, just for me, guys, I think this has been an odd season. And so I can't sit here and say – I can sit here and say that the passing game is not good enough. I totally agree with that. It's got to get better. Um, now, you could point to a lot of different fa- – they got to protect better. They got to play better at quarterback. They got to play better at receiver. Yeah. So then maybe you go to recruiting with that. But um, I just don't know that I can say, well, they just can't find any answers from a schematic standpoint. I just don't – I think it's a little bit more complex than that, and I'm not trying to give the play calling a pass because I haven't always agreed with it, particularly when you look at you know how they structure things against Missouri, for example, in that first half. Um, but I think it's just been a combination of so many different things, so many different areas to pull from that I just don't really know if, if I can if I can say well it's identity. I agree they they haven't been able to find one, but there's a lot of things that that have sort of yeah I, led I just, to that. I hate saying it just un, it's just unlucky because that feels like an excuse. And I'm I, I made this distinction on my Monday podcast. I I'm, I'm not someone that says reasons or excuses. Like that's I think that's a stupid and short sighted way to look at reasons and excuses. Like, those are different things. And I don't want it to sound like an excuse, but it just I, I hate to just say Carolina's been unlucky because they've had – it's been seven games and they've had three different quarterbacks have to play extended stretches of important games for them. And that's really hard to do, especially when, you know, in the case of Ryan Holinsky in the Missouri game, Ryan Holinsky in the Florida game, to carry on Jordan in the Georgia game. Like, none of those guys were healthy. And I think you I think you can see this. Eric and I talked about this a little bit on, on my 107.5 show on Monday. There were times when, when Ryan – when he would let go of that deep ball, it looked like he wasn't really stepping into the throw. And Eric said, you know, that could be him taking care of his leg, you know, because when you step up into the pocket, you're liable to get kind of like rolled up either by your offensive lineman or defensive player. If he's kind of shorting that in terms of his follow through, that could be an attempt to protect his his knee, um, which I guess also we should just say it looked fine. I mean, he had the quarterback draw that they felt comfortable calling. He kept the ball on his own read. I think those were his only two carries at the game. 
Um, but he looked fine. He's still slow, but I mean, he like he he didn't he didn't move like he was injured. But certainly, it makes sense that that was in the back of his mind in terms of not wanting to to just kind of leave that leg out there and in like a follow through situation. But I mean, is it lazy to just say Carolina has been unlucky with some of that? Well, I mean, it's unlucky to a now Jake Bentley did not play well in the first game, right? Um, and I think Ryan Holinsky has done some things at times this year that I don't know if anybody else on the roster could do. But there's also some things, some situations you could go to and say a senior quarterback who's made these types of plays in the past, maybe he makes those. I think that's fair too, right? I don't think I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind that Ryan Holinsky is a better option at quarterback for South Carolina right now than Jake Bentley. But there are some situations in which – Do you think Jake Bentley takes that – cornerback sack i'm not saying he he would or he wouldn't i'm just asking what you think oh man that's hard to say I mean, who is to say <laughs> yeah it, it, i'm saying like i, those, I think he I probably think those are like he, the margins of like veteran play right know? i think he gets the ball out quicker there he's even wiggled out of situations he's not like a guy that, that ever got the ball out quickly like ryan helinski is the quickest draw in the sec Ryan Ryan has the quick a quicker release. Yes. Statistically um, the even, quickest of even all th- starting quarterbacks. Even think even when you go back like go back and watch Ryan and spring ball one and the one area and and we we talked about this the one area where he had I guess you could say some struggles is blindside pressure, you know, um whether it was a corner blitz or whether it was just holding on to the ball a little bit too long in situations like that and it's something, you know, it'll come with experience. I, I don't have any doubt. But I I think what I'm saying is there have been some circumstances that have been a little bit unlucky. I mean, is that a different game with Rico Dowdle? Even though South Carolina did a lot of times what it wanted in the run game, is it different with Rico? Maybe. It might be. They might have had two more explosive runs in that game, and that could have been a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, that's unlucky. They're not their fault. I mean, no. he goes down on the first carry. And the Georgia injury, it's like if Sedarius Hutcherson doesn't accidentally trip Whichever defensive player that was for Georgia, I can't remember yeah, which I think one it was. Yeah, it was Adam Anderson, I think. Yeah, like like people were like, "Oh, that's such a dirty place." Like, no, nah, dude, definitely just tripped and like fell. He he may yeah. have still hit Holinsky, but he definitely wouldn't have hit him low like that, or not in the knee like that while he's kind of falling down mm-hmm. out of control. I mean that that is like just really unlucky. Yeah, and 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 even other things like the first half against Missouri with like how how erratic Ryan was. Would Jake have been a little less erratic? I think you mm-hmm. can make that argument. You can make that argument. Because we saw that Jake Bentley was the paradigm of calm, well, cool, and collected I, I, no, I, in the first quarter say, of I'm games. not saying that, but he also, at times, showed he was capable. You know, I, th- this team's record might be exactly the same. And I think the upside of Ryan Holinsky is substantial. Um, I wasn't even trying to, to make the point on, on, on saying, well, if Jake Bentley was this team's quarterback, it would be this or that. I, I don't know those things. I'm just saying it does change a little bit when you have a freshman versus a senior in certain situations. There's some things that Ryan, I think, has shown that he can do better. Release certain throws that he's made that I don't think anybody else on the roster has made in the past at times. Um, but there are also some situations where he's like a freshman. I mean, just, just being realistic. Yeah, that happens. And, and, and the run game's better. They've had some unfortunate circumstances in the passing game at times, and they've also had some they've created. Some of those plays against Florida, if they just block a guy or if they catch the football or um, if they get rid of the ball a little more quickly, it may be a little bit of a different ball game. So if we're doing Their panic, margin for error is lower. Yeah, but if we're doing panic being. meter for South Carolina's passing game, y'all are like like two out of ten probably. Panic meter. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not panicking yeah. if I'm a South Carolina fan, but I, I think, I mean, it's it's just so many 
I mean, who could who could draw up like okay, everything we're talking about. The kid's got a knee injury. It's in the rain on the Florida game. Georgia game. He's having his best game. He comes out because of the knee injury. Um, Missouri game. His worst game goes into it with an elbow injury and and no practice time. Uh, it's like there hasn't been. I mean, since well, even the Alabama you're talking about, you're playing freaking Alabama, and you know your second start of your life, mm-hmm. or, you know college career, your first real start. Um, Charleston Southern was was definitely easier than the spring game. So it it's like <laughs> no, you, it's like every game there's been some extenuating circumstance, and yet it, the passing game at some point has to be better. But I mean, we we all we get caught on this identity thing, and um, I mean, we asked for an identity. Right now, they they've given us an identity. It's getting you know running formations and run the football defense I mean, defense and run the ball that's like four years ago if i told you that was the identity of this football team well like when will Champ was hired if i said four years from now this the identity of the south carolina team will be running the football and playing defense you would have been like a hundred percent i would expect nothing else well i mean you even you look at the numbers if you're looking at the passing game and the rushing numbers as far as attempts um you know you like look 43 at the, carries and 35 passes or something yeah but 14 of those passes are on the final two drives of the game after you're down by multiple scores. Mm-hmm. I mean, the actual run-pass mix, the run, the running, and, and then you can add in, um, what, maybe take, were there three sacks in the game? If Helensky had, Helensky ran the ball five times for. Yeah, so two carries, three yeah, sacks. Yeah, two carries, so three sacks. So take away, take away three of the total rushes, put that at 40, and then add three to the dropbacks. You're at 38 and 40, but 14 throws are at the end of the game. The actual run-pass mix of this game was very, very run-heavy. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to ask, we're going to sit here and say, run the football more, run the football more, run the football more. I was the happy passing, with that. Yeah. But the passing game numbers, we can't necessarily use eight passing touchdowns as like the be-all, end-all okay. that the passing game needs to be improved That's fair. if the approach is completely different right now. And the approach to an extent, it, it it's worked. It's just it's different, and I think this approach is going to lead to less scoring, uh, just because you're not using tempo as much. You're not as explosive an offense, but you're also putting your defense in better spots. And la- you know, last year the defense, even though the offense was maybe scoring more at times, the defense is put right back on the field. A struggling defense at that. So mm-hmm. um, Carolina's now for I don't know the first time in four years. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing. Carolina has now in back-to-back games run more plays than their opponent, and they won the time of possession battle against Florida for the first time since, like, 2011. They won the time of possession battle. Yeah, so, I mean, so it's it's a different approach. It's going to affect the passing numbers. I, I think the the thing, if I could just sum it all up, is it's not necessarily a thing of, like, total passing, you know, yardage or even touchdowns or any of that. I think it's they have to find a way to be more efficient yeah. in the passing game. They have to do a better job of marrying what they're doing with the rushing attack to the offensive attack, finding the right balance. If you're going to throw on that first down that we're talking about where they got the sack, I would have liked some type of play action with maybe a rollout, um, some type of rub route maybe. Maybe we can get get away with, uh, you know, if you're Carolina, you can get away with blocking the guy too <laughs> since Florida did. Um, but, you know, it, this that's all nitpicking. I, I think it goes back to on defense and in the running game, they focused on what they do well and they've sort of uh, doubled down on that. I think with the passing game, it's about continuing to find out what Ryan Helensky's comfortable with, what the receivers are comfortable with, 
what the offensive line is comfortable with in pass protection and now doubling down on that and hoping you can put it all together in these final this final half of the season. Let me just say this because I know people are going to at me, and they probably already have. They probably didn't even listen the extra two minutes to get to this correction. Uh, Carolina's last two home games, they have run more plays than their opponent and won the time of possession battle. They obviously did not against Georgia, but they did against Florida, and they did against Kentucky. Last thing for the Florida game, and then we'll move into a little buy or sell as we start to talk about the Tennessee game um, because that was a big concern for a lot of people. Passing game for Carolina against Florida. Sounds like we're ultimately not that concerned. Generally in agreement. I think all of us are kind of below a five. I may be at like a four. Sounds like y'all are at about a two. But let me throw this at you. The difference in that Carolina game is they got outscored, what was it, 21 to seven in the fourth quarter. Last year, it's 14 to nothing. So 35 to seven in the last two fourth quarters against Florida. This year, against FBS opponents, South Carolina has been outscored 59 to 24 in the fourth quarter. And if you look at their last 17 FBS opponents, so all the FBS games this year and last year, just taking out those three FCS teams, they've been outscored 123 to 82. Panic meter. Um, 59 to 24. This in seven games, outscored in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's so, I mean, more alarming to me than what, the passing numbers. I, I assume you don't have it broken down per game at, at this particular time. Um, well, 21 yeah. of those against Florida, some against Bama. I don't remember. So the Florida game, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, pan. I don't know if panic's the right word. So I guess still low on the panic meter. It's an area that's got to get better. I'll say that. Um, you know, North Carolina, they were outscored, right, in the fourth quarter, I would assume. Um, yeah, it was 20 to 9. So they got outscored 15 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Does that sound right? Was it 29 going into the fourth? I thought it was. It was definitely in the third. Um, I don't remember. So, I mean, that that was, again, I I don't know. There, there was sort of like a, there was a five-alarm panic after that game that was justified, but mm-hmm. it, it was, there there were a lot of things that were more of an aberration in that game, right, that, sure. than, than not. But. Um, so you don't think Carolina's weak late in the game? That's what I'm getting at here. I feel well, like they are. Well, the stats say so. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, you can't argue So how do you fix that? that? Just don't well, suck. Well, <laughs> don't don't be as bad in the fourth quarter. But yeah. Yeah. but it's not. But but it's not it's not a blanket statement. Okay, look at look at for, like what happened late down. in the Florida game, right? Yeah. What happened late? So, I mean, three we got short fields. You didn't execute. Very it. short. That that is when when I was looking at the game live, when the game got late and Carolina had some plays go against them, allowed a few play. You know the 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 fourth down and three. When that happened, I was like, oh, you know, uh, then they end up, they go score. They get hosed on another call. Now, maybe Florida score. They, at the minimum, probably get a field goal there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But <clears throat> when, when those things happened and then when the field started getting short, then you worried. When South Carolina was backed up, so you worried. Um, Alabama, I mean. I, I don't know what the margin was in the fourth quarter there. I, I don't know. I mean, but all I know is so like game for, over? For, I mean, example, game was over for example, for example, if I'm looking at the again the numbers from the last two seasons, 123 to 82, I know South Carolina actually outscored Georgia seven to nothing in the fourth fourth quarter in 2018. So do we just take those seven points away for Carolina because it doesn't matter now? It's 123 to 75. Like well, we can we can litigate like what was garbage time, what was meaningful, but when you go on an individual game by game basis and say, well, in the Florida game it was this, in the Alabama game it was this, in the North Carolina game it was this, but the point is. There are reasons there, and there are excuses for, like, each of these late-game collapses, whatever, however you want to characterize them. But when you look over the course of the last two seasons, and I didn't go back to the other couple years because it took a lot of, like, clicking, and I didn't feel like clicking anymore after I went past last season. 
this is a trend. And Carolina continues to be bad late in games. And there maybe it's short fields, maybe it's turnover, maybe it's lack of offensive productivity, maybe the defense is giving up too many big plays, but this team has not been good down the stretch for two years now. At least two years. Again, I haven't looked at the numbers from Will Muschamp's first couple years here. That is, is something that I look at in the Florida game and say, I didn't learn anything new, but that continues to confirm what has been alarming me about this team for several years now. I'm trying to find more on that stat because it looks like they were even going into the fourth quarter of the Missouri game. 34-14, which is not where you want to be. Right. <laughs> right, but that's what it ends up being. Um, North Carolina, make sure I have my mic here. North Carolina, you are 20-17 to 17 going into the fourth. Okay, so you got outscored. Well, that was 24-20, so you got outscored 7 nothing. So that was just 7 nothing. Okay. It must be that. So what, ca- what game has created the. That, that, this is what I'm trying to figure out. Pearson, are you 100% sure of your stat? Because the Florida um, game would be a 14 no. point. No, well, no, 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 no. 50, 59 to 24. So, like, 21 of those are Florida. So, you're looking for you're looking for 38 other the, points. The other. Other 38 points in six. 38? Did I do that wrong? Man, it doesn't seem like that's right. It might be. What was the Alabama margin? Maybe they scored. Maybe they were, like, plus four. Maybe they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter of the Alabama game. I don't think so. Carolina scored a late touchdown, didn't they? It looks like at the end of the third, looks like it's 34-16 Bama. Okay, so they scored another uh That'd be 13 for Bama, and that'd be... Wait, 34? And they, Oh, yeah, and they scored 47. So, yeah, 13 there. And, but, Carolina but Carolina scored six, so that's six. No, no, no. Okay, but, but like, to get to the 59, they, they've, been outscored, they've been outscored by 35 points in the fourth quarter this year. But 59 to 24 is the margin. It was seven against Bama, 14 against Florida, and then you're looking for a couple other touchdowns here and there. I'm right. Okay. You know, so, so even if, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not doubting. I was just seriously just wondering where it came from. So the biggest issue is the Florida game. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, because. The Florida you, game this year and the Florida game last year. But look, these aren't outliers. 123 to 82 no, isn't I, I, an accident. I'm, I'm with you. No, I'm with you. The North Carolina game, even not as much the fourth quarter as like the third. You know, so second half of the game. Carolina's not good at finishing football games. Well, you know, then you don't make big plays to win late. You've also got the stat that Will Muschamp pulls out. And again, I don't know the context of which opponent's in, but the one score game. It was like 14 and six or something. Yeah, the one score game thing. Um, Now, another part of that is. That's like one of those was like Louisiana Tech, (laughs) his second year here. It's like some of these are one score games that shouldn't be one score games, and Carolina's got to eke out. Wait, so you said it's 123 to 82? Yeah, in the last 17 FBS games. Okay, and South so Carolina was outscored by 14 against Florida this year and 21 last year. Mm-hmm. So that's a 41-point margin, and 35 of the points are against one team, against Florida. Mm, uh, it was 14-0 nothing and 21-7, so yeah, 28. Uh, 28, yeah. But are you telling me you've been impressed with Carolina late in games? They don't make plays when it matters. If they win, it's because they build a lead and then hang on to it. The only game where they've made plays late and it's made a difference was the Ole Miss game last year. Is there anything Missouri game last year? Is there anything wrong with oh, yeah, building Missouri. a lead and hanging on? Huh? No, 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 there's not. But this team tenses up. All right, last year, destroy Coastal Carolina, get destroyed by Georgia. Carolina destroys Vanderbilt. Kentucky 
wasn't even really close late either. Missouri is a close game late. South Carolina makes the plays. Mm -hmm. Texas A&M is a close game late. South Carolina doesn't make the plays. Mm -hmm. Tennessee is a close game late. South Carolina does make the plays. Ole Miss is a tight game late. South Carolina makes the plays. Uh, Florida is a tight game late. South Carolina does not make the plays. Clemson. Tight game late, does not make the plays. (laughs) Well, they were down by 14 with like nine minutes to go in the fourth, right? Um, And then Virginia was... I don't. I don't really they had, think they had me, you, and didn't Wes make plays late against North Carolina. <laughs> didn't make plays late against Florida. Did make plays late against Georgia. Did did yeah okay yeah. I don't really think it's a trend. Sure. It's the last two years. It's half and half. If you the, break the team, down the teams now, if you I, I break guess down the games. I guess to and it's really to it's not to either of your points or it's to neither of your points. Whatever the grammatically correct way to say it is. <laughs> The the games that that y'all are talking about that they didn't make the plays, were were f- tended to be really good teams, right? Right. Florida, Clemson. Uh, what were the other ones you mentioned from last year? UNC, A- not a really A&M. good team. A and M, pretty good team, ranked team, right? Uh, well, the they team, even they came back just to get. And A and M came. Yeah, Carolina, South Carolina came back. Came back just they came the, back and just in the fell second a half. Short. Yeah, yeah actually, and, and then Jay was, Sternberger took up uh, Stephen Montak and gave him a bottle and pat him on the head and I put was, him to sleep and ran down the field sixty yards. And and then the, the, I was thinking about sorry to cut you off. I was thinking good. about the A and M game. You know, two seasons ago when they were at A and M and they were in a position late and couldn't make plays. But this past year, they actually struggled early on against A and M and came back in the second half mm-hmm. and fell short and then lost. And, yeah. and when. So basically, the the teams that they did not perform as well against last year or this year tended to be, with with an exception or two, good quality teams, even elite teams at times. No. Clemson, elite team, mm-hmm. they won the national title. Yeah, that's pretty uh, good. <laughs> that's pretty good. And the teams that they did perform well against late were either come back against Texas A and M, still lose, or teams that were not as great so i i don't know i'm just saying i don't know what you can do with that yeah. as much as well and we can look at the numbers from the first two years i don't know what that would bear out we don't need to do that now because we're already running long on this but are you telling me numbers aside my numbers aside your numbers aside do you feel like do you when when carolina gets down or has a slim lead late do you trust this team to win the football game for the most i mean it's what's how, your gut feeling you're late, sitting in williams Price Stadium. carolina's up by three with like six minutes did you think carolina's gonna win that georgia game and you can say no because it's Georgia, but nobody thought Carolina was going to win that game, especially I'll, after they missed I'll the field goal after taking overtime. I'll say this. Going, going into the fourth quarter of the South Carolina-Florida game on Saturday, I thought South Carolina, A, looked like the better team, and B, was about to win the football game. Hmm. See, I, I did thought, too. I thought as soon as Florida tied it up at 17 and it totally deflated the stadium, I thought, oof, this feels like the kind of – that feels like the, the kind of inflection point that Carolina's going to want back. But and they did. As it they turned did. out. It, well, of course they wanted it back. It should have been Well, not right, happened. yeah, yeah. And, and like that, <laughs> but, that point aside, but, like, Florida leveled it up after Carolina had gotten the pick. They were plus one in turnover margin. The crowd was in it, and Florida was still tied. Carolina wasn't. I mean, they are running the ball well. They had missed some deep shots at that point. I don't know. Maybe this just speaks more to me personally, and y'all are a little bit more optimistic, and I'm a little bit more pessimistic, but I'm guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this, of getting too analytical. Sometimes you just have to say, what does it feel like is the case with this team or this player or whatever? And when Carolina gets into a late situation, again, maybe it's not fair because two weeks ago they just beat the number three team in the country on the road because they – well, it's not even so much because they made plays late. It's like Georgia I – mean, I mean, like really had some plays they wanted back in that game. But Carolina was able to capitalize. South Carolina made the plays. That's, I guess so, man. That, that's when, like, they, that, when, they, when they missed that 33-yard field goal, it's like – but, but you just gave – I mean, you gave Kyle, Kyle Trask credit for – 
a touchdown pass that a one of them they they illegally blocked and two the next time two South Carolina defenders missed it. Mm-hmm. So you could say South Carolina didn't do, you know you know what I'm saying so they still made the plays. South Carolina made the plays. They got some key run stops. They got some picks that whatever happened on them, they made the play. They could have dropped the ball. They could have not been in position. Sure. So, I mean, so you t- feel like you you feel like in any game, good opponent, bad opponent, whatever. Carolina's either down four or up three late in the game. You feel good about this team's chances. That's, I feel what, like that's all ma- I'm talking no, about. No, here. I feel like that's – I can't say that because I feel like it's a huge blanket statement. I think it depends on – All right, Tennessee. It depends Carolina's on, playing Tennessee no, this week, and they're down by four with seven minutes you to go. If, if you're say, down if, or up by four against anyone with seven minutes left, then you have a chance to win the game. Do you feel it good about matter. it? If you're an Alabama fan, you feel great about that. But if you're, you're also an Alabama, fan, you're the best program <laughs> for the last decade. Like, are, are you yeah, putting, not are apples, you putting it as in, like... I think y'all fourth... are missing the point here a little bit. No, I get what you're saying, but you can't just say, okay, pick Tennessee. Yeah, I'd feel pretty decent about that. If you say, pick Clemson or Georgia, I'd say, no, I don't feel as good about it. But, I mean... Are you well, saying... I'm just... I'm just I, I said Tennessee because I'm thinking like opponents. Yeah, I'd feel pretty... I'd, if Carolina's down by four, yeah, I'd feel pretty decent that... They have a chance. I don't, I don't say they're going to win this game. I have no idea. What's okay. the circumstances? I mean, what you know, it, it's just I felt like against Georgia, against Georgia, I felt like later in the game after Georgia got, you know, after Carolina committed, say, uh, the defensive holding, I didn't feel as great about it because they could have gotten off the field, probably run out the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff kinda after happens. Parker White missed the field goal, I didn't feel as good about it. I just felt like that was going to be the flow of the game. I still felt good about Carolina winning in the fourth quarter, like Wes said. Because I thought they'd outplayed Florida and had some tough circumstances, but when it got a little bit later into the fourth quarter, and the field started to get really short for Carolina, and they weren't doing much on offense, you could tell that it sort of shifted. Then I didn't feel good about it. So I don't. I, I just can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Wes. I, I, I think just, it's a fair think, question. Yeah, I just think if you go game by game, it's pretty even. Okay. The last two years. All right. That's fine. I think statistically. Hopefully this sparks a discussion on the message boards because I, I, I think I don't think I'm crazy here. I think the statistical difference is that of the ones that we pointed out that South Carolina won, it didn't end up being where they had huge fourth quarters. It was that it was fairly even fourth quarters. But the ones that I've pointed out that did not go South Carolina's way, like you said, you had a 14-point margin to go for Florida and then a 14-point fourth quarter margin for Florida last year. That's 28 of the 41 points right there. South Carolina was down to Texas A&M 16 to nothing with 4.54 left in the third quarter last year. And loss was it 27 to 20 or something? It was 26 to 23. So that was more, I mean, Carolina outscored them, for, you know, later in that in that ball game. I mean, 10, but I, 23 to 10 in a span of 20 minutes. So that situation, they didn't start well, and we've talked about that too. Mm-hmm. Like against Kentucky during the streak, they didn't start well enough at times. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I think they have really to play more consistently throughout the course of the entire football game, first quarter to fourth quarter. Cool. Yeah, that's. The and answer. I think a lot of that goes back to just being a better football. Like you got to be a better. You got to be better team. overall. The, the teams that are really good at ends of games normally are good football teams. The teams that are more consistent normally are because they have pretty good players. I feel like <laughs> we've talked for yes. forty five minutes and we have arrived at yes Carolina. If they want to be a better football team, they need to start by being a better football team. Which no, means if they want to be good in fourth quarters, they need to be a better football team. <laughs> well, this is a great opportunity to segue into a little buy or sell. So, Chris, tell us about the Bishop team. 
Yeah, Terry Bishop of the Bishop Real Estate Group, uh, former Gamecock quarterback, huge supporter of the program, 36 years of real estate experience. So obviously, if you uh, have a question about buying, selling, investing in real estate, he's your guy and a big Gamecock supporter knows what he's doing. So facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team or 803-665-1442. Thanks so much to the Bishop team for sponsoring Buy or Sell because we love this. This is our favorite. Uh, Wes won again last week, 3-0. We, we did very well, job, though. Wes. Chris, you and I were 2-1. and Wes was 3-0. Uh, here, here's what we had. Buy or sell. Florida is held to 100 yards rushing or fewer. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of issue with this. Y'all both sold it, and that's why you went 2-1 and one, and why you went 3-0, and oh, and I bought it. And we all acknowledge that the 75-yard touchdown was not a thing. So I'm making you choose right now, knowing that this is going to be posted on Gamecock forums everywhere. Should that rushing touchdown have stood? What? Should the rushing touchdown have stood? The 75-yard? No. Okay, great. Then yeah. I win. Okay. I win. Now, I'm 3-0. and You were 1-2, and two, and you were 2-1. and one. Got I mean, South Carolina only gave up, what was it, what, 154 minus 75? Is that? Whatever. 79 rushing yards? Yeah. All I right, cool. Right. So, I won this week. So Congratulations. Uh, right. Also, South Carolina has over two and a half sacks. Wes, you sold. I also sold. Chris bought. It was just two. So close. As always. Hey, yeah. That's close. Uh, and lastly, South Carolina scores 30 points. We all sold it. South Carolina ends up with 27. Made us sweat it out there. I was hoping for a backdoor cover and Carolina getting to 30 points, but did not happen. So here's what we got this week. South Carolina's going to Knoxville. They're playing Tennessee. First up, by yourself, South Carolina will run more plays than Tennessee. Ooh, that one caught me off guard. Run more plays than Tennessee. Bye. <laughs> Throw your hands up. Yeah, I buy. I'll, I'll sell. You're selling? Yeah. I, don't I know didn't why. write the numbers down for some reason. Um, because I was looking I was looking at it yesterday, and I think Tennessee ran like 18 plays total two weeks ago, and they ran like 30 Unofficial Alabama. stat. Yeah, unofficial stat. <laughs> like they've been horrible. Um now this has kind of gotten interesting in the last couple weeks with Carolina because like I said, what they did against Kentucky, what they did against Florida in terms of running the ball, controlling the line of scrimmage. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna buy it. But I'm just wary about this team on the road. Um, I know they just won in Athens in their last road game. But in general, I'm a little bit worried about this team on the road. Um, so you're saying you're buying, but it'll be close. I'm buying, but it'll be close. That's so you, my move. So you're you buying too? That. And yeah, Chris I'm, is selling? Okay. All right, cool. I'm going to be smart and not write these down, so I have to go back and listen to it next week to remember what we all said. Um, buy or sell number two. South Carolina will have two players with at least 50 receiving yards. Two players. I'll buy. But it'll be close. I didn't say that. Nope, it won't be close. <laughs> Wesley? Um. Wow. Does Tennessee have a good secondary? I haven't even gone all into You're this You're the film yet. guru. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh. Vulnerabilities in the secondary, in my opinion. All right, well, here you go. Okay. Yeah. How many games this year has Carolina had multiple receivers with at least 50 receiving yards? I have no idea. Three. Um. I'm I'm gonna two. buy it. Did you buy it or sell it? I bought. All right, I'm buying. Only it. two. Alabama. Shy Smith caught six passes for ninety yards. Brian Edwards caught nine passes for seventy nine yards. Then against Missouri, Brian Edwards caught six passes for one hundred and thirteen yards. Tom Markaway caught three passes for fifty two yards. Every other game, South Carolina's only had one receiver go over fifty yards. Interesting. Good stat. Thank you. Still buy. Still buy. Wes, what'd you say? I wasn't paying attention. No thanks. I buy. I'm gonna sell. All right. I'm going with the trends here. Five out of seven games without doing it. I don't know if this week will be a difference, and especially if they're going to be running the football. Rico is out for this game. For those of you that haven't heard yet, 
Uh, but no surgery is required on that knee. Seems like it was a sprain. Honestly, at the time, even at the time, it looked like he hyperextended it. It didn't look like any sort of tear. Um, so I wasn't super surprised to hear that. Obviously, hope that he's back going forward because he's just been really fun to watch this year. Last buy or sell. Man, we're blowing through these. Normally, it would take like half an hour just for buy yeah. or sell. Um, I, I, these are weird ones, too, because I spent time thinking about these yesterday. And normally, I don't think about it until – I don't think about, like, what the next one is until y'all are answering the previous one. So, I don't know if, if this works better or worse. But buy or sell. The two teams, South Carolina and Tennessee, that's who's playing on Saturday, will combine for more than 13 penalties. Officiating was a big story after this past weekend. Let's make it a story going into this weekend. So I for watched, reference, South Carolina is averaging 6.8 penalties per game, and Tennessee is averaging 6.3 per game. I watched a condensed version of the Alabama-Tennessee game, just to, one of those where they just really just stack plays. There were about, uh, unofficial stat here, there were about 29 penalties in that game. It, on both sides, I mean. It was a lot. Tennessee had some, some bizarre ones, but uh, – there were a bunch total. That's why. That's why I'm wondering. Like this. This is a clear makeup game from the SEC to these teams that they just maybe hosed the week before. Not that it like maybe made a difference in the Carolina game. Definitely didn't make a difference in the Tennessee game. But did they like go overboard and flag these teams? Like, oh, I hate these teams because they've been bitching about the refs all week. So here's 30 flags in this game. Or is it a little bit of an overcorrection? They just let both teams play, and there's like five penalties in the game. Uh, I'd sell. Sell. So yeah. there, there will be fewer than 13 total penalties That's in this right. game. Okay. Wes? I have no idea how to answer. The, so the average is right on 13? The average is so. 13.1. Yeah. Wow. Um. You know what? I'll, I'll buy it. Okay. I don't really know why, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it. Analysis. Yeah. I'm going to sell it, too. Um. Well, I, I just feel like our buyer sells are always like, this many rushing yards, this many passing yards, this many turnovers or sacks or whatever. So I wanted to change it up. But y'all don't seem as engaged in this one. So maybe we'll just go back to doing the same by ourselves every week. <laughs> but it's just it's just hard to on the fly. Yeah, I should have prepped for a question these. like that. Yeah. Like, it's one thing if you sort of have a, a feel for you're already already sort of thinking about passing yardage and rushing yards and stuff like that. These a little more like on the spot. All right, well, get, give me give me like a traditional one. We'll do a bonus by yourself. This will be the tiebreaker by yourself. Okay. Um, all right, bonus is does South Carolina's starting quarterback, South Carolina's starting quarterback throws for more yardage than whoever Tennessee's starting quarterback. Why did you, you not just saying Ryan Why, you know, why did you not say <laughs> Ryan Hines? We don't know. All the listeners are no, starting no, Saturday. Out, no, just no. because I – just because I was just because it's either going to be Mara or Garantano yeah. or what's that guy's Shrout, name? JT Shrout. Trout. What? Shrout. Shrout. Am I supposed to know who that is? Not necessarily. All right, cool. Because I don't. Okay. You have more passing yards. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to okay. hyper buy that. Tennessee's quarterbacks are all bad. I, there we, was a, we spent like thirty were, minutes talking about how bad the passing game was for South Carolina. Huh? Was why? Oh yeah, but right, but it, it is bad relative to what it should be because you have Brian Edwards, who's a future NFL guy, Shai Smith, who had a great sophomore season, Ryan Helinski, who has shown flashes and I think still is a good quarterback and still is going to be a good quarterback for Carolina for a long time. And it's a lot easier to pass the ball when you have a good rushing attack, which South Carolina does. So just you add all those things up, it should be better. It's not as bad as Tennessee's. I, I was listening to actually Heath Klein tweeted this out yesterday. He was listening to some podcast condensed version of a Knoxville radio show yesterday, and some guy called in and was like, 
talking about Garantano and was like, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for this man to be our quarterback. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that is really dramatic. But, I mean, if you saw that quarterback sneak that he tried to pull against Alabama and you're a Tennessee fan, maybe you feel the same way. But the point is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mega buy that. I'm buying too. If either of you sell, yeah. I will buy your stock in that. Okay. Yeah, I'll buy it. Yep. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. I guess mine was awful too. So. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just bad at this this week. It's okay. We've had we had some great buyer sells through the weeks. Thanks again so much to the Bishop team for sponsoring our buyer sell. A little bit of recruiting news. I mentioned scandal uh, for South Carolina. They're on a year probation. Somebody sent some text to somebody, and North Carolina had fake classes for ten years, but Carolina got in trouble. How much does this? What is the actual impact? Because I know there's like they they lose some evaluation days, some off campus visit things. Yeah, I mean you, you don't want to say there's no impact because um, you know when you when you lose when there's a time period where you can't be on the road or you lose a certain evaluation date. To, to me, one that stood out was you know Will Muschamp can only visit with ten prospects if I'm reading it correctly, which is unclear because NCAA not always clear. Uh, you know, visit with ten prospects during the contact period this year typically it's going to be a lot higher than that, right? I mean, you get, um, you know, it's not a limit on contact visits in total, it seemed like, but just 10 different prospects typically would be higher than that because you're going to meet with all the commitments, then you're going to meet with your top targets, so they'll have to be more strategic about how they do that. Um, Other than that, you know, the impact is not huge. I thought that, and this was a negotiated sort of thing and you got to keep in mind that South Carolina's had a few other minor issues um you know that were listed in the report whether it was um a, a, a similar situation that Muschamp had that was just I mean tiny tiny impact thing it was basically something that everybody else does you work out a prospect at the high school during evaluation day which you can't do everybody does it um they had that they even referenced the Whitney stuff from way back then and then CWA reports so you get some like aggregating factors, but you're aggravating, not aggregating. And then you also get some mitigating things. So overall, I mean, the penalties as to what were what was actually done, extremely minor. Like there might be like the layman might look at it and be like, well, they're cheating. I mean, these are things that I can tell you every single school does these things. So why did they crack down on Carolina? Is it just because Will Muschamp was well, complaining about the officials and the SEC was no, like, hey, we have this? Do you well, want no, it? This, was, this was something that was – in 2018, there were... Well, no, but, I mean, they, they could have known about it, and they were like, oh, we're sweeping this under the rug because we sweep it under the rug for everybody. And then as soon as Will well, Muschamp no. starts putting the SEC on blast, they're like, hey, NCAA, you want to look at this? They, they don't... I don't know that they sweep it under the rug. It's um, for everybody. I mean, everybody does it, but it doesn't get turned in a lot um, because everybody does it. Um, so, I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes, and I've, I've heard... It. I've seen it. And I've seen And I've heard it from high school coaches... Every including schools that are going to be in the playoff this year have done this very thing. So if it gets turned in, they look into it, and then schools are sort of generally, yeah, we need to cooperate with that because why not cooperate? It's it's a relatively minor deal. Um, so this isn't going to, you know, sink Carolina's recruiting for the next 10 years? I, I, I do not right, anticipate cool. that to be the case. The worst part of college athletics, college sports are great, and I love them, and the passion and the tradition is part of what makes it so great, but golly, these conferences in the NCAA just make it so not fun for so many reasons, and we're not going to do a whole thing about it now. I just have to lament that in light of <laughs> how has the SEC still not responded to a must champ? What, what do they do, or what are they doing? Are they not reviewing the tape from their games? Are they not 
can't even respond. Well, Will Muschamp said that Greg Sankey texted him on Sunday and said they were still in the review process. Now, okay, it's Wednesday. Well, I, I realize this. I don't know. I mean, Greg Sankey has been on the record saying that he's not sure that his suspension is always um, – I don't remember the exact word he said. It's in my story, Pearson, that you didn't read. By the way, everybody go read Chris's story. He puts – you know what? Hey, just Chris, go read the story. He puts the SEC absolutely on blast. Chris, like, how was Wes's Carolina Confidential today? I have <laughs> never good. seen Chris fired up the way – he was yeah. yesterday. I have it pulled up. I'm I'm gonna read it. I like have it pulled up on my phone. I've been meaning to read it. it it's just Saint Sankey said he like, said that. What he, are you doing? Well, he said that he's not really. Now he said this a while back. I think in 2016, but he said, you know, we're basically what he said was we'll we're prepared to acknowledge if there's problems with the ha. officiating, but they they haven't. Ha. And then you know he doesn't know that they necessarily gain from a suspension. Now the SEC has suspended refs in the past, or like send them down to the Sun Belt or whatever, but they don't really. <laughs> really, that that is a true thing. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's sort of you send them down to the minors, but oh, man. but the issue is they don't really announce it. There's there's no there's no uh, accountability. There's no transparency. So they spend that's this whole off season saying that they're going to be more transparent. They started really, a Twitter account just to comment on this stuff, and then they have. Well, no and, and really, and, and they only comment when they do things well. Yeah, and and that's yeah. the point. And Sankey has said in the past. I mean, it's been clear from his comments that his focus, he believes, and he's made no bones about it. He hadn't tried to hide it that the focus should be on their successes in officiating. Well, they've had a lot of failures too, and so, what are you going to do about it? Are you actually going to take this opportunity to, you know, Sankey and Steve Shaw, who he put in charge of officiating, are you going to show some backbone and make some changes and actually? admit that at times there's a problem yeah, do the officials, right and do the officials more often than not get it right probably so i could agree with that sure and but so admit when you get it wrong everyone right. else does and everyone else has to and everyone else is held accountable for it and look i'm yeah. not out for blood i don't need to know i don't care who these guys are somebody posted on twitter they're like this is the officiating crew whatever i don't know i don't remember the names i don't care i don't care if they get suspended i don't care if they get fined whatever but just call what must have and be like yeah sorry we screwed this up or no actually we're, we're going to stand by what we said. I, this is the, the third time that I'm going to do this this week. Um, and so this, I guess, is an instance where I'm out for blood and I'm going to put somebody on blast. How stupid is Matt Austin? To come on and just what? make up like a phantom element of holding just to make it seem like his guys are right. Like, that's embarrassing. It, it was strange because he agreed with the other calls. And he and it um, took him, I mean, it was like pulling teeth to get him to admit that it was a false start. And the right tackle, like, stood up. He was, he was turning a backflip. Before the ball was snapped, and Matt yeah, Austin's like, yeah, yeah, that could that could probably be a. Fa-. It's like that is a false start. If you start before the ball is snapped, that is a false start. Just I don't know. Don't suck, man. It's People the, get stuff wrong all the time. I thought Carolina was going to get their ass beat by Georgia. I own up to that. People right. get stuff wrong all the time. That doesn't mean you're bad at your job. Doesn't mean you're good at your job. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that everybody gets stuff wrong. Just allow yourself to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, that, that was strange. There's no element of holding in the NCAA manual that, that says, you know, it's well, it's only if defenders running side by side. Now, if that's some, if that's if that is the definition, if that's how they talk about it in these official meetings, we're going to call it like this, then let that be known. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're if you're going to educate the people, so to speak, on, well, the, the fans just don't know. You know, well then let a let yeah. the fan base and the media know. Okay, it's not holding if you're running side by side with a guy for forty yards and holding on to his jersey. Let us know that. 
Because otherwise, all we're doing is, I mean, we're going to interpret it how we interpret it, which is by the, the letter of the law and, and what we see. And Israel McQuamu tries to make a move toward the defender, and they pull him back. But anyway. I mean, it's, it's this is the office of SEC officials. This is not the Illuminati. They don't need to act like it's the Illuminati. They, I mean, It's kind of childish. They just need to grow up, I think. But I don't know. Um, Wes, do you want to put the officials on blast since we're doing it right now? I'm good. I've gotten my gotten out. Okay. All right, cool. Well, in that case, tell us who won the Slotchkeys Challenge last week. Yeah, very fitting name, uh, given that it's closing in on Halloween, but uh, Garnet Blood mm. with a uh, really Sanguinous good... name. Really good prediction. 35-24. Um, congrats. You won a free $60 tailgating package from Slotsky Zelly that I'll be mailing out to you today. And, Not the tray, um, the gift certificate. Everyone can uh, get on Gamecock Central right now and play for this week if you predict the score. Closest to the score for the South Carolina-Tennessee game, you can actually do that on the Insiders Forum or the free Fighting Gamecocks Forum. And, um, you know, good luck. You get some great Slotsky's food out of it, and uh, you can even get a chocolate chip cookie, which is Pearson's favorite. Mm-hmm. You can do it for free on the Fighting Gamecock Forum, or you can do it on the Insiders Forum if you're a subscriber to Gamecock Central. And if you're not right now and you want to be or want to try it out for a month for free, just use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD, and you can do that and go play the Slotsky's Challenge on the Insiders Forum. But also, we should remind you... Um, you have to predict the score, and in case of a tie, Wesley does have a tiebreaker that is an important element of any sort of picking game. And somebody, let's let's give this person a shout out because this was shout great. out to Lex Gamecock two one three. You didn't give a score, man, but gave a, a really close you uh, gave a good tiebreaker. Yeah, it was, it was a quality tiebreaker. Just have a you know, if your score prediction were as good as your tiebreaker, uh, maybe you'd be, you'd be going home with that. Slash, oh, sixty dollars worth of slashies too. That's a lot. That's really good stuff. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. So for Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. A lot of good stuff going on on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network right now, including we're just a couple weeks away from the start of basketball season, so that is very exciting. We'll have some more stuff uh, going up on the podcast network once basketball season gets underway, so get excited for that. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back on Friday with another Get Cocky podcast. Wes and Chris will be back Monday after the Tennessee game. In the meantime, you all have a great week. Thanks for listening.